Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Hello, welcome to episode nine of Creative Writing. I'm your host, the no host producer. And we'll be talking about some things that we didn't get to last time. Some news. We're going to kick off that. We're going to kick off some more rants. And we're uh, really going to talk about Del Mar. Only if you win and it's the last lap. All right. So let's... uh, ooh, Ooh, I'm peeking here. So got things in order and uh, got our recording equipment back online. And last week was just fun all around, wasn't it? We were sick. Our recording equipment was dead. Um, you know, the only positive is that uh, I did a good movie review. I feel I did. I did that movie, the uh, justice, which it was deserved. But the the negative of that is that I had to sit through that entire movie to bring you the review. So, yay for me, boo for me, yay for you. All right, so this week I wanted to uh, get into a couple things that we did not get into last week, and part of that's going to be some listener mail. And like I said last week, there was a huge, huge outcry from listeners uh, for Krampus, more Krampus. And, you know, I don't play Krampus. I'm not, like, doing a voice thing. Krampus is a guy that I have to call to connect with and just couldn't, haven't been able to get in touch with him since um, last week. So, I'm sorry, since, God, when was, I guess before Christmas. That's when we recorded our last episode. So, it was, like, right in between Christmas and New Year. So, yeah, Krampus, man. Trying to get him back. Trying to get him back. Maybe he'll go flat track racing with us um, in the upcoming months. So we'll, we'll have to see. For this episode, I'm glad to bring first time to the show a news girl. We have a little news segment to get through later. And I actually got somebody to read the news for us. And put it on a much better production of it than I ever could, uh, being a terrible reader and apparently a terrible typer because uh, she stumbled through my notes. And when I read them, I realized how fat my fingers are and how slow slash fast I type. There's a lot of typos. I guess one hand's faster than the other because I was spelling words with letters out of order. Something I do want to address is in the last episode... I want to make it very clear that I said, I did not say that there would never be a Harley in the Dakar rally. I just said that someone would have to do it. Harley as a factory would never do it. And if you go to hogwildracing.com, you can see somebody that actually took a V-rod to Dakar and did it in a sidecar outfit which wasn't a super highly popularized uh, class back in the day. And we're talking, this is the era when I used to watch it, when it was on Speed Vision, when they used to have like a month-long coverage, when it when it lasted, I believe it used to last around 20, 25 days, something like that, and uh, when it actually went from Paris to Dakar. And uh, so, yeah, this, this guy has f- photos 
on Hog Wild Racing. And you can see them jumping their sweet uh, V-Rod side hack rig in Dakar and in a bunch of other rallies. I believe they, they tackled Baja too. So uh, I'll feature that a little bit later. But I, I did want to say that I wanted to make it very clear that I never said there was never a Harley in Dakar. I was just saying that why you don't see Harley at Dakar. And these guys, I don't know what the rules for the sidecar class is. So it could be you know totally out there but you should see the freaking wheels <clears throat> excuse me you should see the wheels they threw on this thing it looks like a a big wheel version of a harley if you took the tw no no what the bw 200 i think is what the big wheel was called and you put slam those babies up on on a harley that's basically what you got it looks like a old honda atv tires on there all right, this is a great drop from the future and a chance to let me tell you that fucking the Mac crashed again. Something's going on with my computer. It's not really the computer. The computer's fine. It's uh, this interface that I use to get audio into it that I need to change. So no complaining, but without further ado, let's just skip straight to the news and we'll get back to blabbing later. And now, introducing our news honey of the week. Honey Buns with this week's news. Here's today's news briefs for episode nine. First with the OEMs, Eric Buell Racing has been bought again for $2.05 million on January 13th, appropriately enough by LAP, Liquid Asset Partners. Buell, having lapped the auction block three times now, has hopefully found a permanent home. Liquid Asset Partners has some experience with Buell since they are the company that helped to liquidate Buell motorcycles when Harley-Davidson shuttered the doors in 2009. The first time around, winner Bruce Belfer couldn't pony up the funds by the deadline after the auction. Lap 2 saw Belfer and U.S. Heritage Power Sport contesting the first auction result and each vying for a piece of the action. Lap 3 has produced the most actionable outcome. The Milwaukee Hands Me Down Press, a news organization that I just made up, has the owner of Lap stating that they will put together a plan to get Buell back in operation, but not as Lap. Trust me, no one's going to buy a bike called Liquid Asset. And now on to racing. BSB Moto America Transatlantic Series. Since working with BSB officials to breathe life and regulation into the Moto America racing season in 2015, organizers and officials from both series threw out the idea of reviving the match races. An article on roadracingworld.com covered the details, and it's totally plausible given that racers from the bygone era are now involved with both organizations in some way or another. The original series ran from 1971 through 1988, and many races would be held over the course of a single weekend. Racers came from many countries, but it was primarily a UK versus USA exhibition. According to the RoadRacingWorld.com article, racers were flown over and treated like royalty. TV coverage and huge crowds made sponsorship for the event easier to come by. It didn't matter what raced as some bikes with smaller engines had better electronics. Tire brands and motor sizes varied wildly, and rider skill went a long way. So what's stopping them? 
Well, it appears nowadays in an age where everybody wins and everybody is equal, some of the riders don't think racing on less than 100% equally equipped bikes is acceptable. The older fellows don't appear to be hung up on anything more than the wear and the win, but the technical nitpicking is where everyone starts to lose interest apparently. I say, in order to increase exposure and cross-pollination in the sport, we need this type of friendly series to come back. It would do well for sponsors, teams, and riders who want more seat time against skilled international peers. And on to Jack Miller. Australia's two-wheeled mullet farmer has broken his right leg while training at the Bell Puig, I think that's how you say it, motocross track. Twasn't a crash that fractured his tibia and fibula, but instead the force of coming down hard on the pegs after avoiding another rider. With some speculation about his ability to make the first test of the year in Sepang, to paraphrase his team principal, a normal human recovery would take a long time, but racers aren't normal. Insinuating that the compression plates inserted during this week's surgery will meld symbiotically with his adamantium bones. Either that or he's on some really sweet drugs. Which brings us to Kyle Chisholm. I really don't think that's how you say his last name. Anyways, Kyle Chisholm also had a bad get off right into the face of a triple at the San Diego round of the Monster Energy Supercross series. Instagram pics showed a badly bruised shoulder that was dislocated after he clipped a tough block and endowed into the face of the jump. Updates on his Twitter page have confirmed that he will need surgery to get back in order. A fracture in his humerus was also revealed in his MRI results. And finally, that is how you say his name. (laughs) What's the HOL doing in there then? Like Chisholm. Okay. You say tomato, I say tomato. He says Chisholm. Okay, we'll go with that. On to the products. Liat, is that correct? Liat? Liat introduced the GPX 6.5 Carbon Moto Helmet. The helmet uses armor gel? Armor gel? Okay. In its design and is tested for impact and rotational acceleration. In an article on RacerX Online, Leach Jorn Steffens answers some questions about the design, testing, and transparency of the company's rigorous procedures. It features a smaller profile than major other brands and an adult, medium, large weighs in at just under three pounds. And there you have it. A medium adult large weighs in at just under three pounds. I'll tell you what, this medium adult large weighs much more than three pounds. And uh, I wanted to bring you some news from the helmet world. I was doing a little bit of research, 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 search after reading something on Bloomberg. Yes, I searched for my news in Bloomberg. Come on, give me a break. Whoa, that was totally weird. Uh, an alien just came down and gave me an anal probe and uh, told me to fuck off and slap me in the face three times and altered my voice. And uh, now I'm back, so let's get on with this story. So the Bloomberg article that I read showcased a company that's making innovations to the helmet industry. They're changing the way that a helmet protects a head and the way that a helmet diverts force around the head. After reading the article, I went to their website and they've got a video that showcases the technology and the methodology 
behind the design of the helmet. And it's pretty transparent in the fact that it shows you basically how the helmet works. They made a really good point on there that helmets for players, yes, I said players and not riders, because Vices is a football helmet company. But what struck me is that they're striving to take football helmet technology to the next level. Next level, son! What that means, and basically they laid it out in their video, is that football helmets have been pretty much unchanged forever now. They're just a hard shell with some heavy padding inside that protects your head. And what they wanted to do was look at things like crash technology in cars where energy is diverted around the head and and you're decreasing rotational acceleration and things like that. And this ties right in with the Kurt Caselli Foundation and the Liat helmet. And that's why I even bothered reading this is because it kind of tied right in that the way these people are, are taking an old problem and looking at it in a new way. Before I get too far into the helmet and the design and all that stuff, let me tell you about the, the three co-founders. The first co-founder is Dave Marver. He's the CEO And he is a former uh, Medtronic vice president. And he was made the really good point about, you know, football helmet technology not protecting the younger generation. And we need to change that. Uh, 25% of parents polled said they would not let their children play football. The second co-founder is Sam, pardon me, Samuel Browd. He is a pediatric neurosurgeon and is a consultant for the Seattle Seahawks. And he's the director of the concussion program at the Seattle Children's Hospital. So he sees firsthand the damage that this stuff can do. And in their rollout video, they had some football uh, former Hall of Famers talking about, you know, these. if a kid does get a concussion, concussion rates are going up. People are playing more aggressively. Your kid gets a concussion and he can carry that with him for the rest of his life. So this guy's seen it firsthand and he's not just, you know, another doctor that's trying to make a statement about safety. He's a neurosurgeon and a pediatric neurosurgeon at that. So he's he's seen kids come in from the field with injuries. And the third uh, co-founder is Per Reinhall, and he's a uh, mechanical engineer. You know, where his strength lies is creating these ways, these pathways for energy to be transmitted around, you know, your care package there, your brain. And so I couldn't think of a a better trio to hook up and try to make a safer helmet for people. And looking at their website, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes, I guess, even though it's it's a football helmet, it's really really closely related to the Liat helmet in the way that it works. And I think it's really cool when you see, you know, like with the Caselli Foundation and I'm sure with Liat, you know, they, they ha- it's really cool to see these people from these other industries come in. You know, the Caselli Foundation had the neuroscientist that is does the concussion protocol for arena football you know he he collaborated with them i mean we're getting the same type of injuries we're getting rotational injuries we're getting blunt force injuries and we're getting constant constant 
constant impact, like low. It doesn't have to be super high speed. You know, it's just a constant knocking. And so it is really cool to see these two uh, sports intertwining on this level where you have like PhDs of engineering and PhDs of of science and neuroscience coming together and saying, hey, look, we can we can remedy this here. We can fix something here. So let me get to the goods of the helmet and, and basically break down how it works. It has, <clears throat> pardon me, it's got a soft deformable polymer outer shell, which they compare basically to the bumper of a car. And inside it's got these columns of cores and I don't know if it's like the armor gel that's in the Liat helmet, but there are these deflectable columns and they'll show you right on the video how they work to deflect from multiple hits at different angles and they can resist rotation. They, you know, they can keep your head steady while the helmet slightly rotates on it just so that your head isn't getting rotated with that. And then I don't know if anybody's ever dot tested um, a football helmet because, you know, there's no need to. You're not going to be wearing them on the street, but I wonder if, out of curiosity, anybody has ever just done it for a comparison, you know, because the testing rig that they had looked awful lot like the ones that you use to test uh, crash test helmets for uh, street use. So, yeah, the helmet is pretty innovative in the way that it works, and it's really cool, like I said, to see these masterminds come together and make something that can kind of, you know, when you're looking at motorcycle riding and when you're looking at football and you're experiencing the same sort of injuries, you just, you don't want to see it happen. You know, you don't want to see people getting hurt over and over and over. And you don't want little kids not to be able to grow up to do what they love. And you don't want their parents to be too frightened to let them do that thing. So whether it's football or riding, I think it's really cool that people are making some innovations in safety. As a quick short aside here, I want to point out an article I read on Freakonomics about safety. And they said, you know, when you're making things more safe, sometimes it makes the people less safe. If you have a helmet that you have that makes you feel indestructible, they they were specifically talking about the concussion rate. uh, Since it's such a hot, hot topic right now, they... This article focused on football and it focused on concussion rates and brain trauma rates. So they were saying that as people try to make a safer helmet and safer gear, players play harder and play more recklessly because they feel invincible or they feel like they're more protected. So that's the flip side of all of this is that if you do make a better helmet, especially for football, people are just going to push the limits until they find out where that breaking point is. And then you're going to have to redesign and keep moving forward. I mean, I guess it's just human nature and it's just the nature of things and permanence of, of equipment that we have. But that is, you know, the dark side of all this is that, yeah, these guys are making this really super great helmet, but it's only a matter of time before people try to find where the limit is on it. And fortunately, with auto racing and and motorcycle racing, you don't have people trying to crash all the time. But, you know, speeds are getting higher and higher and higher and motors are getting bigger and faster. So I guess in the same sort of way, we're doing the same sort of thing with uh, motorsports. So end of aside. Um, And right into an awkward segue because I I re-recorded this. It was super clunky. 
so don't worry, nobody was acting recklessly. Speaking of acting recklessly, oh my god, have you seen these new nylon fuel tanks by Twig TT out of Australia? I have to tell you that uh, if you're like me, you used to scour eBay for these Benelli tanks that look so sweet on almost any bike. And, you know, the aftermarket that sprung up in recent years from, you know, the popularity of Cafe Racers has gained. If that made any sense. Am I even speaking English still? I'm, I'm a terrible orator. What's wrong with me? Anyway, so Twig TT has made these new nylon tanks, and they'll accept ethanol gasoline. They're designed to fit Yamaha XV model um, Viragos, as well as some Honda CBs, and one of my new favorite bikes, the Kawasaki W Series. I love the W800, and uh, so now these Benelli Mojave gas tanks that were so popular and, and going for outlandish dollars... Um, they have a rival, and it's a new substrate. It's nylon, so you know it's uh, maybe that's easier to manufacture. I'm not 100 percent sure why they're nylon, but uh, you know that's a nice plastic. You won't dent it. So they go for about 350 US dollars, and I think that includes the tank and the mounting hardware. And I happened to see that when I was flipping through an issue of um, Cafe Racer magazine. And I thought, wow, look at that. You know, I used to pine over those things. So who knows, in five or ten more years, maybe Ferraris and boobies will come in for pretty cheap, too, because those are the other two things I used to look at on the internets all the time. All right, so moving on, I don't know why I highlighted this page, but let me tell you all about it. It's a full line of K&L supply company parts and tools, including master cylinder kits, deluxe vacuum gauge sets, Brake caliper kits, carb holder boot... Oh yeah, that's what it was for, carb holder boot kits. That's why I bookmarked this page. I've been looking for a pair of these uh, for one of my KZs because they're just rotted to shit and they're unusable and I was going to try and machine some out of metal. And so here we go. I call these things insulators, but carb holders is another word that's commonly used. And it looks like you may be able to get these for all sorts of vintage bikes. So it's pretty exciting to flip through here and see something that, you know, you've been looking for and that you can't find and everyone says, "Hey, if your old ones are junk, then you're shit out of luck." And here you go. Boom. Moto Services. Check it out. Uh also, it's nice that they have the Viper Sport uh cafe fairing on there cuz now I know how much that one in my garage is worth. So that's another nice thing looking at uh, these jobbers to know how much you can hawk your shit for. Which brings me to another thing. I must, you know, I, I left home the other day and I left my garage door wide open and the door to the house, you know, because if you go in the garage, you know, there's a door to the house. And uh, nobody came in and stole any of my shit. My TV was still here when I got home. All my motorcycles were still here. You know, hell, even my bicycles, my mountain bike were still kicking it in the garage. And it's not like I lived in Compton or anything like that. But hell, at least come have a look. Make me feel like I have valuable stuff. You know, nobody stole anything. So you know you have junky shit when nobody's going to steal it when you just leave it right out in the open. So made me realize the true value of the things that I, <laughs> I hold dear. 
All right. Well, before we get too far in, before we get more than halfway into the show, I, I wanted to uh, go over a couple of tips for cold weather riding. Um, I spoke with Matt Richards uh, from Boxerworks, which is a Tumblr account. Technically, I communicated it to him via some written messages, not speaking. Back to story. And it's actually pretty fabulous. You should check it out if you get a chance. They, uh, there was an awesome little story on their blog. And I was going to read it, but then again, I thought, you know, maybe I'll have them on to read it sometime. I'm going to just read you the cold weather writing tips. Uh, apparently, he had a friend coming from Georgia to Oregon and back. And as we know right now, El Nino has America by the balls in, uh, in its grips. Oh. So I found some really awesome cold weather writing tips that just make so much sense. And they are true. So very true. So here they go. Matt Richards from Boxerworks. Thanks for letting us use this list. It's uh, cold weather writing tip number one. Put tape over your helmet vents. They leak air even when they're closed. Wear a trash bag like a vest under your jacket and also use a section of newspaper to add a layer of insulation under the front of your jacket to cover your chest. I don't care how fancy your gear is, it leaks air and you can tell when it's cold as balls outside. Ask him, he knows. If you have rain gear... Wear uh, said rain gear under your riding suit if it'll fit. And that way you can skip the homeless style trash bag vest and you'll be warmer from head to toe longer than without it. Uh, Stop at motorcycle or four-wheeler or snowmobile shop and see if they don't have hippo hands. Those are fleece-lined canvas covers that go over the grips on your handlebars for cold weather riding. They protect your hands and they work better than big, thick, cumbersome winter gloves. And especially if it rains. His buddy picked the big fat gloves, of course. And basically big fat puffy gloves are like the equivalent of sleeping bags for your hands. So if you've ever slept in a sleeping bag out in the rain or then rolled into a puddle, you basically get the gist. Next tip, put a few layers of newspaper on top of your thighs and in the bottom of your boots, even under the sleeves of your jacket. If you don't, believe me, ask a bum. Tuck all your layers in. Like shirt and underwear, socks over long johns, balaclava into shirt, etc. Make sure you don't cut off your circulation, because then you'll pass out and fall off your bike. Be covered in layers and still comfortable, and make sure your neck is well protected. That too, if you don't want to wear your scarf around like a distinguished gentleman all year long, you better uh, do what he says. So his next tip is, if your jacket has zipper vents, you can tape over those as well. All zippers and seams leak air. Trust me. They probably leak water, too. Stop and warm up before you get freezing cold. Take short, frequent breaks, allowing your core not to get too cold, or else it'll take a long time to warm back up, and you won't make as many miles in the short daylight hours that you have to ride. After dark, it gets even colder, and your progress will slow accordingly. So he says that if you can stick to daylight riding, do it. Also, do jumping jacks, run around, walk, do something to make your blood flow when you stop to heat back up faster. Last tip, they sell a big box of hot hands. You know, those little packs that you crunch and they heat up, like for hunters and spectating at a football game. They sell them at Walmart. They help, but they don't last long. So, stuff them in your crotch, your armpits, your torso, 
put them there and inside your pockets. He considers that a last resort. Hopefully we can get some more great hobo heating tips from them uh, when we have them on the show. Spoiler alert, I use really shitty audio transitions. Gleeb Glorb. Hey, before I get too deep into anything else, uh, we are roughly halfway through the show. I just wanted to take a second. Before we hit episode 10, I want to thank everybody who's listened. Um, looking at my stats on SoundCloud, I really want to thank some people in some really odd cities. Um, Brisbane, Australia has been rocking it at the top of the charts. Um, it was San Francisco for a while. Uh, San Diego has it recently. That was weird because Brisbane was on top the last time I looked. I don't look every day. I don't even, you know, look a couple times a week just to see when I upload my stuff. So I just take a peek. And I just wanted to say thanks to everybody in all these cities. Um, Wow, Brooklyn, New York. That one's brand new too. And uh, not surprisingly, the city with the most listens is the city I live in. And it's probably because my wife started listening and... I listened to do a little QA on this baby, but <clears throat> I was really, really cool to see, you know, people checking in from Waka'ano, Hawaii. I hope I said that right. Uh, that one was top in the charts there for quite a while. And I thought, wow, Hawaii, who's, who could possibly be listening in Hawaii? So anyway, thank you everyone. Uh, this is really cool seeing, you know, Korea pop up and lots of places in the Netherlands popping up. And uh, I don't know, it's really cool seeing seeing everybody around the world. If you got some events that you want me to chat about or a little calendar you want to send me, uh, I've looked for stuff, you know, in places where I have friends or I know people are at. And um, it's hard. The Internet is... It's one thing when you know exactly what you're looking for, but especially I, I think if you're looking for, for for me, looking for some foreign foreign um, events and stuff like that, is is not as easy as I thought it would be. So I try to like make stuff relevant to where people are at. So, but yeah, thanks for um, Wellington, New Zealand. Even I was surprised to see London because you know people are smart in London. It could be uh, Simon Hargreaves and Martin Fitzgibbons trying to get a lesson on what not to do. Minneapolis, Minnesota, Waukesha, Wisconsin. I know who that is, and I want to say thanks to a particular listener named Chris Singsheim. He's a pretty funny guy, and uh, we've been chatting with him online a little bit, and uh, he's he's always at the top of the charts. Thanks, Chris, the number one fan. So we have Cedar Grove, West Virginia checking in, Las Vegas checking in. Cities I've never heard of all across the globe. It's really cool. We want to say a special thanks to our friends in Ashburn, Virginia. And Richard, if you're still out there somewhere, uh, our interviewee went missing. (laughs) After we interviewed him, that wasn't so awesome. Got a couple listeners in Amsterdam. And uh, I was actually going to call over to the Dead Cat Garage and ask them what Malort was and uh, see if they could tell me. But yeah, lots of cool stuff going on in Amsterdam, bike-wise and motorcycle-wise. And uh, yeah, so the top countries, you know, U.S., of course, but 
Australia is number two. It really surprised me. There's only a couple things I know about Australia. A, that I love Mad Max, and that's one of the very first movies that made me want to ride a motorcycle. And when my neighbor friends and I were kids, we used to get on our bikes, and they kind of looked like Mad Max bikes because we we had like this fort full of like a hundred bikes, and we would just like put together whatever worked, ride them around, and crash into each other. And I had a circular driveway, so we would do flat track in the driveway, but it wasn't regular flat track. It was Mad Max flat track where we had to not only race, but smash into as many people as we could. So there's that. There's Jesse Smith. And uh, there's Bob Log, who I love, that used to be an Arizona native, but now he's transplanted over there. So that and... uh, Paul Hogan's a douchebag is about everything I know about Australia. And maybe maybe that last part's not right. Maybe he's like, I just remember the Crocodile Dundee movies getting a lot of blowback. So, yeah, so cool. Thanks. And then after Australia is Canada and uh, our neighbors to the north and um, Netherlands. So those, those round out the top five. I can't count right. United Kingdom. So that's the top five. USA, Australia, Canada, Netherlands, United Kingdom. That makes five, yeah. I'm not Ichiban Moto, but I sure can count to five. (laughs) Uh, One last thing that I think is pretty interesting is that the last country shown is uh, Kazakhstan. So either Borat's listening to me, or like maybe a service member or somebody, a diplomat, I don't know. Or maybe if you are a Kazakh and you listen shoot an email our way. I'd love to know what the motorcycle scene's like over there and hear all about it. Creative writing podcast at gmail.com So anybody, any of these places, uh, you want to send me some show ideas or send me a calendar, what's going on, or just let me know what your local biker scene's like, I'd love to learn about it. I'd love to hear about it. So right on, man. Keep on rocking. Keep them titties flapping in the wind. (laughs) Spoiler alert. I use really shitty audio transitions. So I don't know if I said it already, but my hardware crashed. My software crashed, actually. And I am recording this again. And it is late as fuck. And I will be going to the Hell on Wheel steeplechase tomorrow. So I'm going to go ahead and like straight get this uh, slammed out. I've been working on repiecing this together since I found where the audio files were. So all day I've been at this when I wasn't busy uh, with other stuff. So I'm just going to slam this baby out. Here we're going to work on The Girl on the Motorcycle, a shitty film from 1968 in today's movie review. Yeah, movies. All right, so Girl on a Motorcycle, 1968. A film starring Marianne Faithful, Elaine Delon, and Roger Mutton. And uh, I couldn't uh, agree that Roger Mutton is a pretty sheepish name, wouldn't you say? So uh, to start out, Right, right now, to uh, I'm going to establish this fact right off the bat to reduce confusion. Um, 
Marianne Faithful, I forget her name in the movie, Rebecca or something. She only interacts with her lover in flashbacks. Okay, so anytime I mention lover boy, it's a flashback. So uh, the whole movie is just an account of her journey to see him in Heidelberg while her husband deals with shit at home in Alsace. So right off the bat, this fucking shitstorm starts out with some animated birds flying around a house in the French countryside, and the special effects are horrible. For 1968, this was probably, like, pretty dope stuff, but, I mean, it's worse than, you know, I, I'm not even going to say what it's worse than. You just have to see it. Um, once the viewers get inside the house, we see that the the birds flying around are part of the dream that this girl's having, and... um She's played by Marianne Faithful, so she's pretty easy on the eyes, which is a stark contrast to the sex dream that she's having. And at least I think it was a sex dream, because it starts out with like an image of her boyfriend and some sensual colors and shapes and stuff. And then it's followed by these superimposed images of really fucking scary circus clowns and like all these weird shapes and really shitty dissonant music. And the next thing you know, her husband's being led out to the center of a circus ring, playing the cello or something, or the bass viol, and he's being totally humiliated because the whole circus tent is full of women, and they're all laughing at him. And so basically, you get the sense that they're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, um, I don't know, they're humiliating him and and maybe saying he's effeminate. I, I don't know exactly what it's supposed to imply, but... They definitely, uh, it's embarrassing to the, his wife. And so, um, she's suddenly riding around on a horse, horse surfing. I say horse surfing, but she's standing on the horse's back and there's a dude whipping her clothes off and she's like in her motorcycle leathers, uh, horse surfing around this freaking circus ring while some dude in a top hat is whipping off her clothes. So, uh... The next thing, it's like this Technicolor horse ride out in a field and she falls off and gets trampled by the horse and she wakes up. So it was like this, I don't know, it was kind of a sex dream, kind of a, you know, a symbolic dream or something like that. So one thing for sure is the first five minutes is pure psychotica. And the only redeeming quality is that you get to see plenty of titties and some 60s muff until she slips right into her fleece-lined leather cat suit. So, at least uh, stay tuned for that. So, scary clowns and docile husbands aside, you know, she wakes up, she goes, and like I said, slips into her leather cat suit, but it's really her riding leathers. And um, totally naked underneath, just just uh, just the leathers is all she, she throws on. She sneaks out into the barn and she starts fondling this motorcycle. It looks like a, an old FLH. Um, I think I looked it up and it turns out it's an electric glide. Um, so she puts on this helmet that looks basically like a, a silver shower cap. And then she puts on these shitty plexiglass glasses. I think they were just made for the movie. They look, they're disgusting. And, um, she storms across the countryside, full throttle, and makes it, well, as far as the gas station. 
<laughs> so she doesn't make it that far. But at that point, we find out that she has no money on her person. And I can assure you that uh, her nipples barely fit into her leathers. So unless she uses the prison wallet, I don't know where she would carry money anyways. And it just 10 minutes later, some introspective psycho babble and like some Technicolor ride. I, it's like being on acid. Uh, we find that she at least has the presence of mind to stash her passport and her bike registration on board because this comes in handy when she's leaving France and uh, she has to show her papers. And she whips them out of nowhere. She doesn't have saddlebags on the bike. She just lifts them up. She looks, she does like the one peak, one cheek sneak uh, on her butt and like pulls them out of some magical place. So maybe she is using the prison wallet. So same thing when she gets to Germany and... Basically, when she gets to Germany, she has to show show me the papers. So she has to show him her ID. And the rest of the film is pretty much like a run-of-the-mill 60s art house with like a bunch of inner dialogue, um, most of which made me happy that I'm not a woman, or at least that woman, because she was like a total psycho. And it was, you know, just listening to her whole opinion about the world and all this shit. So the whole film pretty much stunk of Euro hipsterism and this naive feel-good reflection and introspection and a scathing uh, indictment of French society in the 60s. Or I guess, uh, you know, not just French society, but, you know, totally anti-war. And it's really trippy to, to check it out. So if you were to change the bike to a Ducati Scrambler and substitute the skiing scene for a snowboarding scene, you'd totally have like an instant uber campy hipster classic for the current generation. And I actually wouldn't put it past Hollywood to remake this piece of shit sometime soon as, you know, a motorcycle, as as like the Scramblers and cafe racers and shit get way more popular with younger riders. So the turning point comes during one of these flashback scenes when she tells her husband, who's then her boyfriend, that he should do what he wants. And then she proceeds to tell him what he wants. And guys or girls, if your partner ever does this, they're letting you know right now that things are going sideways really fast. And, you know, you're basically screwed if your partner's telling you you should do what you want. and then. They tell you what you want. <laughs> so anyway, she works in this bookshop that her dad owns and the Swedish guy comes in and she totally eye fucks this guy and he's pretty good looking. I think it's uh, Elaine Delon plays the guy and it's on from there on. It's on her next sex dream is l- more literal. Um, she's literally banging him. And uh, unfortunately, you don't really see much because it looks like it was filmed by the Predator. It's like they just experienced or they had just discovered Technicolor and shitty special effects and they just went all out on this shit. But thanks to Technicolor, uh, you ruined our sex dream montage that she has. So this dream is so good, though, that she wakes up and has a cigarette. And then the next time she sees her boyfriend, she tells him that he needs to make a move right now before she loses herself. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty good dream, even though we can't see what happens. So, a few weeks later, she sees the Swede on the motorcycle again. He comes into the shop after some blib-blab with her dad and 
some small talk. He gives her a ride. Um, on what I've discovered was a Norton Atlas. And I'll tell you, the tank looked like a Triumph tank. I swear it said Triumph on the side. So the wiki, whatever I looked up, said it was a Norton Atlas. So immediately he takes her to the barn and rapes her. Um, I'm just kidding. He takes her uh, for a ride, and instead of enjoying it, she asks a bunch of annoying questions. And then they arrive at a sawmill where she basically rapes him. Um, they fuck on a wood pile, and that's the end of that flashback. Cut to present, um, she's riding through Germany. And I guess she hates Germans, because they ask her too much stuff, like, hey, where's your passport and your bike registration? And I guess in the 60s, you didn't ask, man. They make the they do like the superb job of making all the German officers, even though they're just customs officers, they look like Nazi commanders. And all they do, all the you know, the film does is shits on German culture from like their driving habits to fashion and like obviously the guards they hate them. So it was probably a French thing. So also at that point. The girl has so many verbal outbursts that I start to wonder if her last name is Tourette's. She's just like going ape shit crazy. She's it's insane watching this chick. So I was hoping I'd like this movie since it seems sort of empowering for women, you know, like this lonely housewife ditches a total clod of a husband, rides her bike across Western Europe to find the love of her loins. And Instead, it just kind of seems like a lady who's slightly bipolar and psychotic hops on a motorized weapon and stalks a hot Swedish professor. So at any rate, there's another flashback and it finds them in bed together and the Swede starts telling her about his racing career. And apparently he's raced every single discipline on the face of the earth at the time in the 60s. He, he looks like he raced the Isle of Man uh some international hill climb various road racing like actual road racing circuits it looks like he did the ISDE and then some shitty ass motocross and european hair scrambles um a jack of all trades and a banger of betrothed women apparently so you know cut to that scene in the next scene it's uh it's still a flashback but it cuts to when she received the bike it's a, it's a wedding gift and then she gets the FLH and it arrives out in front of the bookstore where her and her dad and her then husband walk out and her dad's like man you got to give this thing back you got to give this thing back this is uh inappropriate and she asks her husband and he's like oh whatever makes you happy and as she jumps on it and fucking tears off her father looks at her husband and basically tells him he fucked up. And I think, to paraphrase him, he's like, you know, now we'll see who's going to be unhappy. So, cut back to the present, and she's still on her way. You know, this whole movie is just her on her way from France to Germany. So, she's on her way in a German bar. Everyone turns to look at her, and she's naked. And obviously, that didn't happen. That's just trying to visually portray what she's feeling, I guess, because it was all dudes in this bar. And she starts to write this letter, uh, first to her lover, telling him to take the bike back, and she hates him or something like that, and she'll take the train back to France where she loves her husband. And then it changes to, like, a Dear John letter, right midstream, where she basically tells her husband, fuck you, I'm not coming home, you know? So... 
I don't even think she finishes it. She ends up leaving the bar and she speeds away, like ranting and talking shit. And she starts calling her bike a black devil and her black pimp. And she's like weaving in and out of traffic maniacally. She's basically fucking the saddle. She's like, it shows her like bouncing up and down and her eyes flutter. Uh, I think she doesn't even have a helmet on at this point. And the music gets totally crazy and dissonant. And is this like another sex dream, but like right on the highway? It it seems like she's having like a a day distracted day driving sex dream. So she almost crashes, and I think there might be a wet spot on the seat. But I can tell that there's definitely a flashback coming. You don't you don't do that shit on the highway and then not have a flashback about your husband. Well, this bitch be crazy. Sure enough, she flashed back into. Uh, uh, when her and her lover were just laying around naked and she's asking him why he doesn't love her and wondering if she is a nympho and maybe she just loves him for the booty calling. And then she starts getting whipped with roses and there's like another Technicolor sex scene. And like, I just basically don't even understand what the fuck's going on anymore at this point. This movie is just like berserk and bizarre. And then I think it's maybe the end of the film. So it cuts back to her uh, driving through a country, uh, the German countryside with like a montage of all her greatest moments with the Swede, like coursing through her brain. And she's basically starting to have like a mental orgasm. And then um, (laughs) just like the vanishing point, some construction uh, and a large vehicle turns some big giant German looking army truck pulls in front of her and she basically smashes into it and pulls a header through the windshield of some car. I couldn't tell what it looks like, but it looked like the love child of a Citroen and a Messerschmitt and a Volkswagen type one flips over behind her and catches on fire. And it's just rad watching her fly through the air through this windshield. And then it cuts, does like a hard cut to the, the bell tower or the, the town where she was supposed to have arrived and the bells chiming. And I guess it's supposed to be like, Hey, this is where she would have been had she not had some crazy psycho mental orgasm. And I don't know. She can't even drive from where did I say she was driving from Heidelberg. She can't even drive from Heidelberg to Alsace without going crazy in between. Like that's no long distance tour. That's, you know, that's somebody you don't want as your riding partner. Um, the only the only benefit is that they're riding uh in just leathers so i mean i don't know anyway this the the review uh to sum it up this whole movie makes me feel just about the way uh, that song warm leatherette by the band the normal makes me feel it's uh doesn't do well through time it's pretty terrible and the ending of this film reminds me of the vanishing point, except that he was on drugs and trying to get a vehicle from one place to the next in a certain amount of time. Uh, she was just crazy as someone on drugs and she couldn't even ride her motorcycle from one place to the next in any time. So yeah, that's my review of a uh, girl on a motorcycle. Apparently it's a classic, but uh, I wouldn't waste your time on it. I basically summed that up pretty nicely for you. So, uh, yeah, just 
before you uh, check it out on Netflix or Redbox or wherever you uh, get your movies from, just remember what I say. Two thumbs down. Finally, I'm going to leave you with a little piece of the flat track action from Del Mar. We were down there on the 9th for the tribute to Ascot race. It was totally awesome. Probably would have been better to go to the day at the races because they had racing all day long. Um, I think I mentioned in a previous episode that we kind of took the freedom that we had last time we were there for granted. It's a much bigger show now and a little bit more professionalism is required next time. And uh, one more thing is I'm not a big cruiser guy, but you guys got to check out the Scout 60. Those things sounded so fucking cool. And uh, I'm going to leave you with some audio from the races right here. Well, we're here in Del Mar at the uh, Tribute to Ascot, not at the uh, day at the races, which is going to be tomorrow. And uh, we're just going to go back here and get an interview real fast. Yeah, I was um, just trying to get back to the pits to interview someone. for you with any more of uh, the interview because we're not going to get one tonight. Here, maybe you can hear me now. Um, yeah, we didn't get into the pits. Um, we actually got chased out of the pits. So I'll just uh, record some of the races for you. This segment brought to you by Roxy Sausages. So they sung the national anthem, and uh, this is the parade lap. We're going to get started here pretty soon. This is uh, Hooligan A. Listen to the Indians compared to the Harleys. They sound so badass. I hope it picks it up. This new Scout 60 motor 
really kicks ass and it sounds good too. the Scout 60 motors, those things just sound so crisp and differentiated from the Harleys, the potato, potato, potato of the Harleys. They got a little bit higher. It's almost like comparing a Mustang to a Corvette. They're lining up again. I'm going to pause this until they get back ready to go. the Scout 60 you hear. I don't remember him sounding like that at the Orleans at the Super Prestigio, but uh, then again, you know, I guess maybe I was sitting in a different spot. Or they were tuned different or something then. And that was a Harley. Scout 60. Harley. Yeah, they sound so different. <laughs> well, guys, it's late as fuck, and it's uh, almost 1.20 in the morning. I'm going to go to the stadium steeplechase tomorrow in less than 12 hours. I will be there uh, periscoping. So uh, check me out, Creative Writer at Twitter, um, to see my periscope. And uh, so I better get this kicked off. There's some events that are happening basically just tomorrow. Phillip Island. <laughs> Sorry, I did not get this out when I wanted to. Um, like I said, software crashed. I had to piece this thing back together basically sentence by sentence. So I missed all these events that came up. Uh, Phillip Island, the 22nd to the 24th. The uh, Motorcycles and Misfits Naked Ride in Santa Cruz happened yesterday, the 23rd. The Mexican 1000 Fundraiser happened yesterday. Five years of Moto Lady at Lucky Wheels Garage in L.A. happened yesterday. And I think Anaheim 2 happened yesterday, if you're into Supercross. Of course, tomorrow will be the stadium steeplechase. And I am not going to waste my breath uh, yapping too much here since it's so late in the morning. And I have lots of people to apologize to. So, uh, check back next time for a list of upcoming events. Um, I do want to say that February 6th, I believe, is the um, Ivy League Flat Track Women Who Race event. So, do check their page to make sure that date's right. Here we go. In no particular order. I better get my pen out so I can write, check these off. Racer X Online. Bloomberg. 
Oh, we are sorry to you guys. We're sorry to Twitter, Belt Puig MX Track. We're sorry to Sepang. We're sorry to Adamantium. Sorry to Harley Davidson, the BW200, and the TW200 from Yamaha. Honey Buns, our news correspondent. Sorry, baby. Uh, we're sorry to Concussions, uh, RoadRacingWorld.com, and Tough Blocks. We are sorry. Sorry to EBR. Uh, LAT, which is Liquid Asset Professionals, I think, and some other motorsports company that we mentioned. Hell, fuck them. Uh, sorry to the Kurt Caselli Foundation. Sorry to the BSB Transatlantic Series. Uh, sorry to Yamaha, Viragos, and Kawasaki W models, and uh, whatever. We probably said Honda CBs. Um, sorry to Jack Miller for breaking your leg, you little mullet farmer. You mustachioed mullet farmer. I haven't seen you in a while, but that's what you looked like last time. Uh, sorry to Kyle Chisholm. Hope your uh, shoulder gets better, big guy. We did not mention Ridiculous Racing, but check him out. Sorry, Ridiculous Racing. Uh, sorry, Freakonomics. Sorry, Wild Hog Racing. Sorry to DOT Testing. Sorry to the Liet Helmet and Jorn Steffens. Sorry, uh, honey, called you Jorns. Um, sorry to Vissus Helmet and all three creators and their respective employers. Uh, sorry to the NFL. We are sorry to Benelli, the Benelli Mojave fuel tank, specifically. We're sorry to Roxy Sausages. Sorry to the Ivy League Flat Track. Um, the Twig TT over in Australia. Uh, we're sorry to KNL Supply Company and Tools. We are sorry to Marianne Faithful, Alan Deloyne, and Roger Mutton. We are sorry to every single person in the world and every single country in the world. We're not going to go through and name off uh, all the countries that we said in this uh, show, but you know what? We know that you're out there and you're listening. We thank you so much, and we're so sorry, A, for being such a shitty podcast, B, for not knowing what's going on in your part of the world, and C, for various other reasons. Uh, just listen to the show and you'll understand. Um, we are sorry to Boxer Works. That list was amazing and awesome. And thank you, Matt Phillips, for sharing that with us. Uh, sorry to Chris Singsheim, but I, I hope you did hear that eight-second jingle, buddy. That was for you. Keep on rocking it in the free world, and don't freeze your balls off. And we are sorry to Ferraris and Boobies, but we do hope you come back to the Internet someday, as we do love you. And that's it. Peace out. We will catch you next time. And uh, I don't even know if there's going to be bloopers this time, but there may be. All right. Peace out. Um, yeah, there's a couple developments that have come up since last time. And uh, one of them being Indian website. You you must go to India. Uh, I got a news girl for this episode. Just uh, say uh, a lot and do all that uh, stuff. So... Her name is fucking dickhead. Stop and warm up before honey buns. You get freezing cold. That probably is supposed to be this. And uh, why don't we just kick it off? Rant, rant, rant. <laughs>